This is the Christian Life Coach Collective, and I'm your host, Laura Malone. We're talking all things coaching, concepts, tips, tools, self-coaching, mindset, faith foundations, and definitely entrepreneurship because I want to support your calling as a coach and help you build a thriving online business with God as your CEO. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Here we go. Okay, today we're talking about processing emotions, being a human, and believing in Jesus. (laughs) And I'm going to draw a line very quickly here in the episode between following Jesus and following religion. Following Jesus means believing in him and pursuing his heart and living our life in a way that lets our spirit lead our soul and body because of the work of the cross. At the moment we receive him as Lord and Savior, our spirit is born. Okay, that's the new, that's the new birth. It comes to life. We are fully redeemed. Our soul, however, begins this new restorative process that lasts until we are eternally with him. So then our bodies, they're continuing in the way they're going, which is to once again return to the dust we were formed from. But I will say, I believe God still heals bodies today because I've seen it time and again. So even though our bodies they they fade away, okay? But they're still a part of what's going on in our human experience. They're, they work alongside and work with or work against our soul and our spirit. So from this perspective, we can say that our spirit immediately serves and follows Jesus when we get saved, so to speak, but our soul what the Bible calls the flesh or the old man has been the boss for a very long time and doesn't want to give up all the power and let the spirit of God win, right? So the battle ensues and the soul of man loves a good rule book. And we all have our own, even when we say we don't. And we also make books like the Bible into rule books instead of the romance stories that they really are. Because to our soul, that seems too simple. It seems too frivolous. Why don't we just turn that into a good like handbook, right? The manual. And the deal is, is the, the Bible is a, is a manual for living, for good life, right? But it comes from a place of love, not a place of false power and punishment. So I like to think of it like this, like our spirit follows a relationship with Jesus willingly because it longs for the kind of living water that he offers. But our soul loves to create and follow a religion so we can form the world around us into kind of like an image of ourselves. Our body is just kind of long for the ride, doing what God created it to do, but has a fallen world working against it, right? So in our soul's uh, determination to follow religion, We love to apply the words do and don't, should and shouldn't, right? And when applied to emotions, this can be really harmful. And emotions are part of your soul realm, okay? Hear my heart and how I'm saying this, because I want it to come across as acknowledging sin, but also allowing grace for the human process and God's grace, which is there simply because he knows there's a human process that he put into place, okay? So... When the Bible shows us who Jesus is by what he does and says, first of all, it's showing us who the Father is because Jesus only did and said what the Father did and does and says, right? Jesus reveals the Father. And when we take situations where we feel angry or frustrated, 
sad or disappointed, hopeless or traumatized, then if you add a don't to these emotions, we're actually harming ourselves. When we say don't be angry, don't be frustrated, don't be sad or disappointed or ashamed or you know, hopeless or traumatized, we're actually giving ourselves a reason to shut down and deny things that actually need to process through and out. God knows there's a process because our emotions, which are part of our soul, are directly tied to our body and spirit, and this is how he designed it. So cutting out the soul's process is inherently a human thing. Like, we're the ones trying to do that. It's not a divine thing because Jesus allows room for the process. So let's take the boat in the storm. In Matthew 8, the disciples are like freaking out because he's sleeping. And he wakes up and says, hey, guys, where's your faith that you've let fear come lead you? So imagine the scene. This isn't like the lake near you and like a, a storm cloud over it in the spring, right? This is a storm, a massive storm on the sea. And all these men have ever known about a storm like this and what it is capable of doing is like death and despair. They've never seen anybody do anything to stop a storm and keep them safe. So their nervous systems are severely activated. Their brains want to keep them safe. So their adrenaline is pumping, etc. Like this is all normal. God made us to function and react this way. Now picture Jesus sleeping on a bench because this was not like a cruise ship. So he didn't have his own, his own stateroom. He wasn't down in the galley because they weren't on a yacht. This is just a wooden boat somebody had or borrowed. And if the storm is overtaking them, then Jesus is actually sleeping while he's being pelleted with the rain. Like he's getting soaked. But he must have been very, very tired <laughs> in order to sleep through this. So the boat's throwing up basically, and he's sleeping through it, and his stomach is not rolling like everybody else's. But these other guys, they're fully awake and experiencing it all. And before they ever have wonder and awe about his ability to stop a storm, they must have had some kind of awe in the fact that he was sleeping through one. So also, I would just ask, like, why are they letting him sleep up to whatever point that is that they wake him up? And they're like, hey, man, it's, it's pretty serious here. I would have been at the very beginning of the storm, like, Jesus, take cover. The sky's opening. We're all about to get drenched, dude. But did they see, did they try to keep him, get him awake? Like, but they kept, he kept sleeping through all of their shaking and yelling at him. Like, what happened? The deal is, is he didn't cut out the process because he knew that if there was a storm, even if he wasn't thinking about, hey, a storm's coming, I'm going to go ahead and take a nap. He inherently knew that if there was a storm, nothing was going to happen. He knew it wasn't his time. He knew it wasn't their time. And he knew what to do. So he knew of the coming storm within his friends, not just the one without, like outside of the boat, but the one that's within the boat. And he still allowed the process. He did not say to them ahead of time, hey guys, a storm's coming. I'm just telling you right now, I'm going to like stand up and tell it to stop. So you don't have to worry about anything. He actually went to sleep and let them experience the process. He let them feel the fear simply by allowing it to happen. And then he walked them through it. He knew their bodies, nervous systems were going to react normally to an abnormal situation, but he didn't keep them from experiencing it all. He was just with them at peace in their experience. And let's 
just look at another boat story when Jesus walks up to the men in their boat in Matthew 14. So it had already been like a pretty big day, multitudes being healed because, you know, Jesus has compassion for all of them. So he heals them all. And I really love Matthew 14. There's so much, uh, so just good stories in there, right? About what really happened. His stories, but except for the first part where, you know, John is beheaded. But let's skip forward for this episode. So Jesus sees the multitudes. He heals them all. Then he multiplies the loaves and fish. He feeds 5,000 men plus all the women and children, which they estimate to be closer to 15,000. They say 10 to 20,000 people were fed by the multiplication of the food. And then Jesus wants to go be alone. See, he's an ambivert. He loves being with people. He's energized by it, but he's also energized by being alone. And what he did with his alone time was he went away to be alone and spend time with his dad. So he would get fully filled back up, right? So he goes up the mountain, but his guys are like, hey, let's go back out on the boat again. (laughs) And the wind picks up. And if the wind picks up in the sea, it means the waves pick up. They get bigger. And he can see them from the mountain. And he can see the guys rowing and struggling against this sea that like the wind and the waves are contrary to what these men are trying to do. So he actually waits while spending time with his dad on the mountain. And in the what the Bible calls the fourth watch of the night, which is from 3 to 6 a.m. Because the night watch is split up into four sec- sections of three hours. And in the fourth watch, right before dawn, he walks out to them. And because it's pre-dawn, there's probably enough light for them to see him coming in the distance. Like, they freak out thinking, it's a ghost, right? But he says, don't worry, friends. It's just me. Don't be afraid. I just hear him saying it like it's all normal. And he's just coming around a corner or something, not wanting to scare them in the middle of dinner. <laughs> he's just like, hey, guys, it's just me. The, pa- the Passion Translation paraphrases it like this. Be brave and don't be afraid. I'm here. (laughs) Jesus is like, he's telling them, I'm speaking to your spirit. Let it rise up. Let it lead your soul and body. Don't react with your soul. Don't react with your body. You can just let your spirit, your spirit's leaping inside of you if you'll pay attention. It knows that I am near. Your soul thinks, oh no, it has to be a ghost because you don't know what's possible. Let me show you. So then Peter says, If it's really you, then call me to walk out of the water and get out of this boat and come towards you. Now, I'm going to say you might wonder, why does he do that? And I think it's because he actually has faith in the authority of Jesus. He believes that if Jesus bids him to come, then the power of Jesus's words will actually hold Peter up on the water. And so he does. And I'm sure all the guys are yelling like, no, Peter, don't do it. You're being stupid, right? And just as a side note, remember the centurion in Matthew 8, 5 through 9, he's he's like, he tells Jesus, my servant is uh, paralyzed. He's very, very sick. And if you will just say the word, my servant will be healed. You don't even have to come to my house. It's because he truly understands authority that he's able to operate with faith. Do you see that? Like authority, understanding authority helps you operate in faith. Jesus never took authority. He had it. He didn't need to take it. He had it. Jesus says, truly, I tell you, I've not found anybody in all of Israel with such great faith. And then he says to the centurion, go and let it be done just as you believed it would. And the servant was healed at that moment. 
while the centurion was still standing there with Jesus, just because Jesus said, let it be done. In that moment, the servant was healed because the centurion believed it would happen if Jesus said, let it be done, then it would be done. And it was because there was an understanding, revelation, and acceptance of authority. And Peter's doing the same thing. He's actually understanding the authority of Jesus and believing that if Jesus says to come, then it's possible for Peter Peter to walk on the water. So he heads towards Jesus. Now imagine walking on water, which nobody's ever taught you how to do, except this apparition of a man in the middle of the night. And, you know, you're crazy exhausted. You've been on the sea out for hours and hours, rowing like against the wind. And I just, does this sound like any situation you've ever found yourself in? Like a time in your life that felt like the perfect storm where everything is against you and you're exhausted and you cannot see a light on the horizon? Well, I can tell you of some of them. I know you have them. But Peter, he is actually walking on water. He's walking toward Jesus simply because he had the faith in the authority that if Jesus said, come, then the water would hold him. And the difference is that after he walks out in faith, understanding and trusting in the power and authority of Jesus's word, he starts looking around. He sees how big the waves are and his brain starts to say, heck no, back to the boat guy. (laughs) <laughs> this this actually begins to work against the faith in his spirit and his mind and his soul starts thinking thoughts like, this is impossible. This is crazy. I'm going to die. I'm not going to make it. Jesus can't really do this. So he begins to sink. And then he's like, save me, Jesus. And then Jesus does, right? He grabs him, lifts him up from his impending grave. And I don't know about you, but I remember the moment Jesus pulled me up out of my grave very, very clearly. I remember his goodness, his kindness, and his mercy that actually poured over my unbelief and around the life I was living that was actually standing against his love. That's why I hear this next part of the story very differently than how others might receive it, because Jesus says to Peter, oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? See, I hear it with a tender voice. There's a difference between intention and interpretation. And when you struggle to interpret something based on the heart of the person who has said or done it, then you will miss things. I, now at this stage of my life at least, I hear Jesus have like a loving heart like his arms are wrapped around me, like a mother would pull her little little child close and whisper, I know your faith is still small and your doubt wants to win, but I'm here now. Just keep your eyes on me. Those big waves are not nearly as powerful as my love. They cannot take you away from me. That's how I hear the love of Jesus. Not this shameful Peter, you of little faith. Why did you doubt That's just disgusting. I'm sorry. That is not Jesus. That is not the man that I know, love, and serve. Mm -mm. And I'm sorry if that has gotten deep into your paradigm and your belief system that he thinks thinks of you like that. You are worthy of his love. That's why he died on the cross for you. But more than that, like before that, you were created on purpose. 
wonderfully, fearfully made. That is what God did. Before Jesus ever went to the cross, God already decided you would be here. So why would he talk to you like that? He's not like you and he's not like your, your earthly dad or mom or bosses or pastors even. That's not who he is. He's not a man that he should lie or hate you. It's not possible. The love of God cannot be separated from you. So when you interpret, try your best to let your soul and your mind interpret the words of Jesus as if he loves you rather than he he is against you, okay? So let's step out of the boat together. Get back to what I was saying. Come back to center, Laura. So Peter's body and soul react to what he knew was possible, that the waves could overtake him and he could sink and he could drown. That's what he knew was possible. (laughs) His spirit wanted to reach out and walk on water and like be with Jesus in the dark. He did not have the knowing and acceptance of the impossible until he stepped out and actually walked on water towards Jesus. But fear, which is just a shadow in our soul that operates under the guise of like self-protection, it rose up and then led his eyes to look away from Jesus, and then he started sinking. All right. So you know Peter got to spend the rest of his life knowing that he was literally the only man who wasn't Jesus who could say, yes, I've walked on water. (laughs) Listen, I will take that trophy and hold it high to show other people what's possible if I could. I'd be walking around going, I did this, you can too. (laughs) But Peter's brain and mind, they learned something that night. And I'm positive this lesson stayed with him forever. He's always going to like, probably having dreams about walking back on the water in the middle of a storm. It's, it is possible. But what's more is that Jesus used this opportunity to let Peter walk in the authority and power of the words of Jesus, just like the centurion. He said, let it be done because of your belief. So he was telling Peter, let it be done. Come walk on the water because of your belief that if I call to you and tell you to do it, it is possible. How amazing is this? If Jesus says, then it is so. If this, then that. What if we lived, believed like this? Our brains want to say it's too simple, but in truth, our human nature is just really so rebellious. We don't truly understand authority and submission. So we don't have a foundation that the centurion and the Peter, Peter had to like believe that we have the authority of Jesus as believers. And this is a little off-center, but attached to the path, okay? Luke 9, 1, he's, and he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Amen. Ephesians 2, 6, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places uh, in Christ Jesus. Amen. Luke 10, 19, behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Amen, amen, amen. Okay, James 4, 7, submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That is a command and a a promise that if you resist the devil, it's a command. Your resistance is a command that causes the devil to flee from you. Come on, let's live like this, right? So there are just four pieces of info. These are these scriptures, like they're just four pieces. There's so much more in the Bible, but these are like four things that you can dwell on about your ability to 
submit to God and walk in authority and actually be empowered, true power, not false power from the soul, true power from the spirit of Jesus Christ living within you. So you know what helps you have faith instead of fear in a given situation? Do it again. Experience. Do it again and again and again, and you're going to learn. But it's not just faith versus fear we're dealing with here. Our soul has certain expectations, but so does our body. And your brain is actually a body part. It's a, it's an organ, right? Your mind is a soul part. Your brain will become accustomed to the nuance of any particular circumstance, and then it will eventually create neuropathways that can handle what's to come when your brain sees it out there on the horizon. So the next time these guys faced a storm, every time they're out on a boat, they have this memory of Jesus commanding the wind and the waves multiple times. This memory shows them what is possible because they experienced it. And the first time they're out on a boat in a storm and they're about to die and they think they're about to die and they're like, Jesus, Jesus, right? They, he saves them. Well, you know what? They went out on a boat again while he was up in the mountains later on in Matthew and they still went out on a boat. They like got back up on that horse again, right? Jesus shows us what's possible. He still does today because he's the greatest possibility coach in the world. <laughs> and if we condemn ourselves for feeling an emotion like fear, we're going to shove it down with denial. We're going to ignore it. We're going to get apathetic about it. But shoving our emotions hurts us because they're still there, but we're just not thinking about them. Now they're trapped in our body because your, your emotions are biochemical responses. Your brain is experiencing something and tells your nervous system and your body to react this way. And it's very self-protect, like your God gave you a brain and a body that would protect itself. Fear and pain and all of these emotions that we label as negative, they are part of our life. They are half of our life, if not more. And it doesn't say that it's going to go away. The Bible says that Jesus is with us in our suffering. Everything that doesn't feel good, he is with us. Keep your eyes on me. Okay, a trapped emotion just simply can't press us through and out. So it ends up working away, eating away at the body it's trapped in. So what is a girl to do with emotions like fear and anger and shame that Jesus honestly tells us are contrary to biblical kingdom living? And this is how I would guide you. First of all, don't condemn yourself for feeling things that you feel. Now, there is a process where you can like accept them and feel them and work your way through them. And then there's another place where you would enable them and agree with them, partner and say like, I keep you forever. Yes, let us just be angry people. That's different. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying when you're in a situation experience what is coming up for you because there's a reason it's there. Jesus saw the multitudes and had compassion on them and then he healed them all. Why did he heal them? He had compassion. He had compassion because he knew they each had a story. There was a reason why they were in pain physically, emotionally, or mentally, okay? So stop and recognize what you're really feeling. Dial it in, define, and describe it. What I'm not telling you to do is take it on, take it out on everybody around you. Jesus withdrew often, so it's okay for you to step back and take some time for yourself when you need it and learn how to become aware of what you're really experiencing in your soul and your body and then ask this question, is now an appropriate time to deal with this or do I need 
to set it, set it aside as something I can deal with soon. And I want you to literally label it this way, now or soon. Let these be the only two options of when you'll deal with things. Later is not an option. Later is an indicator that you might ignore it. So it's now or it's soon. And if it's now, remove yourself from where others are to the degree that you can. Go to another room, go to your car, take a walk, whatever. And then be with yourself. Identify, recognize, define, describe anything to become aware of what you feel and why. And learn to go deeper and let the emotions process through. When they are stuffed, they actually wreak havoc on your body and your soul. And if the time is soon instead of now, decide you're going to respond versus react to what's happening in this moment. Let's just say, if if you're in the grocery store and this woman says a very mean thing to you in the middle of the grocery store about you letting your baby cry and how it's disturbing customers, you are going to have emotions, I promise you. But you have a choice to make. You can respond by just not replying to her and leaving her to deal with herself and her, you know, pray that Jesus heals her hardened, spiteful, lacking awareness heart. (laughs) Bless her and walk on. Or you can react from your heightened emotions, that activated nervous system that want to defend you, defend your baby, and say, Something like, well, you obviously never outgrew your crying and whining stage, so you're right. I should pick up my baby so she has a better chance at life than becoming like you. Have a great day. (laughs) Well, all I can say is that example comes up really easily for me right out of nowhere. I don't think that's ever happened to me, but I probably need to sit alone up the mountain and go ask Jesus about it. (laughs) So... Let's say you respond with silence and you keep walking and you're able to keep yourself in check. But right now is not the time to like sit down in the freezer aisle and, you know, deal with this. Okay. It's not appropriate to do now. It's appropriate to say soon I will handle what's going on inside. So you can lead yourself wisely and graciously. And then you get home, you put away the groceries, you put the baby down for a nap, and then you make a cup of coffee and sit down to let that situation come right back up for you. You go back into it. I know that doesn't feel good to go back into it. You want to deny it. You want to hold it. You want to act like it doesn't didn't happen. It didn't feel good. I don't want to be there. But this is where you allow all the emotions to rise up so they can process through and flow out. This helps them process so you don't go bite your husband's head off when he walks through the door or slam the kitchen cabinets while your wife is making dinner. You know, so many, all these scenarios are coming right, right back to me easily too. <laughs> Again, let's go up the mountain, talk to Jesus. In the end, either way, you allow the emotions to be real and not be denied. So you let them process through and out. Then you bring your soul to the Lord and speak peace to your body, your muscles, adrenaline, hormones, all the things. Then you manage your mind by taking your thoughts captive, meaning you define them, then confine them, then you challenge them against the truth. That's what it means to take your thoughts captive. You have to define the thought, then confine the thought, then challenge the thought. That's what it is to be in captivity. If it doesn't stand up to the truth when you challenge it, then you cast it to the foot of the cross. You say you have to obey Jesus. But if it does, you dwell on it. Let it penetrate your core if it's actually rooted in truth, what that thought is. Now, here's the deal. 
if it doesn't stand up to the truth, I know how hard it is to deal with when it's been a core belief in your life or there's a lot of emotions activated with it. So that's, it's okay if sometimes these things take time to process. It's like grief. No, there's no rule about how long it should take to process grief. It, you are you. Just come before the Lord. Be with him. Keep your eyes on him. But it's okay for you to be in your process as long as you need to be in the process up until the point where you start enabling the process to spiral and work against you, okay? So that's when we use we can use the Pearl practice to help transform our thought life. In Pearl, we've talked about this a lot in the, po- the podcast. I teach it in the Greenhouse uh, Life Coach Training and Certification course. I use it with my clients. It stands for paradigm, which is your beliefs and thoughts, emotions, actions, results, and legacy. And it's how we a process that we walk through so you can take a thought and actually see the fruit of it. Then reorient your thoughts so that you can actually create the legacy you want with the thoughts that are necessary to create it. Your paradigm influences your emotions, which inform your actions, which create results, which culminate in a legacy over time. So you actually walk yourself through what we call the old pearl. You walk yourself through all of those, how they're attached to each other. And then you walk backwards in the new pearl from legacy to results to actions, to emotions, to paradigm, to figure out, like, if I want this legacy, I have to be thinking and believing this, okay? And you walk backwards, legacy that you want to the results, what kind of results culminate in that legacy, what kind of actions are required to get those results, what kind of emotions help me pursue the taking those actions, And what paradigm thoughts and beliefs influence that kind of emotion to rise up. So I'll take that action to get those results and create that legacy. So I've talked about this a lot. You can check it out in other episodes. But I hope all of this just encourages you to allow emotions and human process permission to be real and have your attention and also for other people in your life. You know, you can't just squash something that's real for you by denying it or ignoring it without having repercussions, but it's not fair to do that to other people and tell them to get over it either. We have to process it. Jesus says he's with you in the process. He's with all of us in the process. In Matthew 28, 20, he says he's with you till the end. And that is a promise. And his promises aren't broken just because you don't believe them. They're still real. They're still spiritual laws. That's what God's promises are. Okay, so remember, if you're a coach, you want to be one, but you don't know who to coach or what to coach on, the um, the Niche Clarity course is now available for a limited time. It's 50% off. This is four modules that walk you into your calling as a coach, how the message within you is meant to meet the needs of the world around you, and how your, your ability to show up authentically in coaching with your message with this clarity actually makes marketing so much easier so you can get clients and do what you're called to do, but... I am hoping that this all comes together for you at just the right time when you've chosen to listen to this episode, that you give yourself grace and permission to be human in this process, keep your eyes on Jesus, and believe in the authority and power of his words over your life and his love for you. So bless you, friends. Remember to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, since the word tells us that with God, all things are possible. 
I hope that you love this episode and you feel challenged, inspired, and encouraged. If you're a coach or you want to be one, jump into the Christian Life Coach Collective Facebook group so we can connect over there. And to work with me, grab the links in the show notes to get quick clarity about your calling as a coach and entrepreneur, as well as how to get trained as a coach with Sterling and Stone and start your own business. Bless you, friend.